May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. Reaching the end of a job interview, uh, the human resources person asked this young grad, engineer grad out of MIT, what he thought about, you know, his, what he'd like to see for his starting salary. And the graduate said, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000 a year, you know, depending on the benefits package. To which the interviewer said, well, what do you think about this for a benefits package? How about we say five weeks of vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental, company match up to 50% of your salary for your retirement fund, and a lease car every two years, say a red Corvette? And the, the graduate said, wow, are you kidding? And the interviewer said, yeah, but you started it, right? We, we all have this idea that um, maybe sometimes we think we're worth a little bit more than we ought, right? We have this idea, though, that if we work really hard, then we deserve a reward. That's just how it works in our world, right? Whether you agree with them or not, I remember not too long ago, um, you saw like fast food workers picketing for $15 an hour. And I don't know what it's like here, but it's in my town. Um, actually, fast food restaurants are having a hard time finding people who will only work for $15 an hour. Uh, again, this is the way the world works. You work hard, you get rewarded. But it's not just the way the world thinks. It also happens in church, right? Where we kind of get this entitlement, like God somehow owes us. I mean, we would never, of course, be so crass to say that out loud. But that, that he owes us, right? That, that just like we want to climb the ladder of success in life, so we want to climb, uh, climb the ladder of success in our life of faith. That if we work really hard at being a Christian, then God kind of should give us a reward. And if you don't think you think that way, I'll just give you a few scenarios. See if you find yourself in any one of them. If you've ever found that you are disappointed in life, then you have a ladder that you're trying to climb. If you've ever been proud of your Christianity and your Christian life, and you think you're doing someone a favor by forgiving them, you have a ladder. If you've ever doubted God's plan for your life, the way it's going, you have a ladder. Do I need to keep going? Did we catch everyone? Um, I, th I think we probably did. We all have those, that idea that we, we need to climb the ladder of success in our life of faith. Well, today Jesus is going to tell us to take down our ladders. It's time. Because he tells us that you can't, can't climb to heaven anyway. Um, not only shouldn't you try, but you, you can't do it. What it took was for Jesus to climb down here. And to live that perfect life that we couldn't live, to die on the cross, so that right now, and this is a reality, this is one of the reasons we can take down our ladders, right now God views you as sitting with him in heaven. And so for the Christian, there's no reason to climb a ladder. In fact, Jesus tells us quite the opposite. For the Christian, we want to climb down the ladder. All the way to the level of servant. All the way down. Because this is where Jesus wants to find us. And help us, he gives us some encouragements in our text, some hard truths, but some encouragements. He starts off this way. He says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. I'm just not sure that Jesus could have put that any more graphically. I mean, if you really think through that picture, if you cause someone to sin, Jesus is saying it would be better for you to have a couple ton millstone t 
tied around your neck and for you to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That is, that's a graphic picture, right? But I think it's one that we can understand, especially if you're parents. You love your kids. I love my kids. I've, I've been blessed with six of them. If you're nice to them, if you treat them well, if you want to help them, if you're a good example to them, then we are all good, right? But if you want to hurt my kids, if you want to mistreat them, if you want to lead a bad example for them, well, then a very different Dave Sharper is going to come out. You understand this principle, right? And the same is true with God, right? God loves his children. He loves you. Whether you're 3 or 33 or 103, he loves you with a jealous love. And he doesn't want anyone to mess with his kids. In fact, he says that, that you are the apple of his eye. And the prophet Zechariah says, anyone who touches you, meaning you, touches the apple of his eye. And so that means God is saying that if you mess with his people, it's like you're poking him in the eye. If you mess with his people, you are messing with him. And right away we think, oh man, think about all those people out there, right? Think about the world. The world is in God's doghouse because quite frankly, is there any other entity that leads more people into sin? Right? You think of some of the things the world promotes. Basically, everything God calls good, very often <laughs> the world calls bad. And so, um, so if, you, if, you, if you want an abortion, you know, if that's the right choice for you, the world would say, go for it. Uh, the, the idea of keeping um, sex as a special part of marriage completely out the window. Do whatever you want. Do whatever feels right, even if you're of the same sex. And if you think differently, then you are thinking totally backward. And we could keep going, couldn't we? <laughs> But if we did, then we'd miss the point. <laughs> because Jesus isn't talking to the world here. He's not even talking to the Pharisees. Did you catch the very beginning of the text? Jesus said to his disciples. He's talking to us. You know, if you're in high school or grade school, Jesus is talking to you if you're a Christian. You know, and, and, and friends might think it's fun to pick on the weaker kids or to disrespect the teacher or your friends might think that it's a cool thing for you to do the wrong thing and they might encourage you all day that way. But understand why you're doing it. You're doing it because the devil has convinced you that it's going to make you feel better, that you're going to fill some sort of hole. And finally, no matter what the devil promises, it's always an empty lie, right? It never delivers. But I really want you to think through what Jesus says here. If you're a leader, which you are as a Christian, and you're leading other people into sin, Jesus says it'd be better for you, and this is graphic, to have a millstone wrapped around your neck rather than to face God himself. And parents, we may not do the same thing. Maybe the behaviors are a little more subtle. But we certainly are guilty of leading children into sin, maybe without even realizing it. You know, behavior is more caught than taught. Uh, they're watching, and they'll follow you. I, I think of a, uh, the story of a, a five-year-old boy who, who darted out into the cold winter snow um, and, and he was following after his dad who was uh, an alcoholic going to the bar as he often did. And as the dad was taking footstep after footstep, he heard the crunching behind him and he looked around and he saw his five-year-old son just stepping, jumping from one footstep to the next. And he said, where are you going? And the son said, I'm just following in your footsteps, Dad. The man never took another drink again. Think about what message you're sending to your kids. 
What, what do they see in you as a Christian parent or as a Christian spouse or as a Christian walking your life of faith? If you're like me, you need to take a couple steps down the ladder, a few rungs down and, and pray, Lord, forgive me for leading your little ones into sin. And that's actually the next encouragement that Jesus gives us, forgiveness. This is what he says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. That sounds really good in theory. I, I think it was C.S. Lewis who once said, um, everybody thinks that forgiveness is a lovely thing until they have something to forgive. And isn't that the truth, right? And Jesus says, don't just forgive, but I want you to keep forgiving over and over and over and over and over again. Now, my, my main experience with that when it comes to forgiving over and over in a short period of time is with my children when they were very young. You know, they would do something wrong, and then you would reprimand them, and then they would get the, you know, the tears, like, oh, I'm sorry, like that, you know. And then, and then what do I say? I crouch down, and I say, you're forgiven. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins. Jesus loves you. Daddy loves you. And then you send them off to play again. And they feel better. And within a minute, they do the same thing wrong again. And you go through that series again. And by the seventh time that it happens, you know, within like seven minutes, um, my, my words are the same, but my tone is very, very different. Jesus loves you. You're forgiven. Don't do it again. You're going to be in big trouble, right? Um, Finally, I need to, uh, if, it, if that is a hard thing for me to do to a child who really hasn't done, if we really think about it, hasn't done anything real hurtful, how much harder is it to do for somebody who has actually hurt you deeply, right? If, if you're like me, you need to keep walking down that ladder and pray, Lord, forgive me for not forgiving as you have. And then Jesus um, finally, uh, this gets to be too much for the disciples, and, and, and really it's too much for us too. Does this sound impossible? Like something that you can't possibly do? The disciples thought so too, right? We join them when they cry out at this point, increase our faith. But Jesus says lack of faith isn't an answer either. That's not an excuse. He says even if you have the tiniest little faith, and God gives you the promise that you can go plant a tree in the sea, and it's going to do just fine, then that tiny little faith, because it's not, really doesn't matter how big the faith is, it matters who the faith is in, and it's in the almighty God who can do anything, who could even make trees grow in the middle of the water. And yet we have a hard time trusting things that are so much easier and so much more common. Like not having to worry about God's provision. Like trusting that he's actually going to work all things for our good. Like trusting his good plan for our lives. If you're like me, we got to keep walking down that ladder and say, Lord, forgive me for not trusting each and every one of your promises. And just in case you're hanging on just to that final rung of the ladder, Jesus tells us a parable. He says this. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? That'd be ridiculous, right? It'd be as ridiculous as a waiter coming and joining your family for dinner. You know, like when, when they're, they're supposed to be serving you. Um, and, and so, won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me until I, uh, while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. 
We have only done our duty. Wow. If you're like me, you have to take that final step off of the bottom rung and go all the way to the bottom and pray, Lord, forgive me for not realizing and recognizing what it means to be a servant in your house. Now at this point, you may be asking, where's the good news? Like, thanks a lot, Pastor Sharp. Don't bring your brother back to preach again. Um, where is the good news, right? Well, it's, it's in this. It's in that we're at the bottom now. And this is where Jesus wants to find us. Because it's from this perspective that we can see most beautifully this truth. That we are servants in God's house. And that's an important thing. Stand in awe of what your master has done because what your master has done and accomplished also counts for everybody inside the house. Not once did Jesus ever, ever, ever fail to trust any one of God's promises even when he was forsaken by God on the cross. Not once did Jesus lead anyone into sin, but instead by his life and his teaching, he led people into heaven. Not once did Jesus hold a grudge, but instead he, he forgave tax collectors and sinners, even Pharisees and, and, and soldiers. Stand in awe of what your master has done for you because what the master has done counts for all of his servants inside of his house. Jesus was the only one, think about it this way, Jesus was the only one who actually could climb the ladder all the way up into heaven. He was the only one that earned this acclamation from his father in heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And what did he do with that? He climbed down step after step after step all the way down to suffering hell on the cross for this one reason. So that you might be heirs of heaven. To take you from being slaves in hell to being servants in God's house. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. The lower you go on your ladder, you'll always realize Jesus is even further below serving you. And in fact, the lower you go on your ladder, the better you're going to be able to see who your Savior really is. Again, stand in awe of who Jesus is. And then how can we not serve him? It's interesting when you talk to, or when you think about missionaries, we always think of missionaries going to foreign countries, how, how much sacrifice they have to make. You know, they're, they're giving up the comforts of home to go live in a new place and tell people about Jesus. And, and, and certainly from a human standpoint, we would say they're making sacrifices. But it's interesting, if you talk to them and tell them that they're making a sacrifice, do you know what they'll say? They'll say, we're not making a sacrifice. How could you call it a sacrifice simply by doing this to thank Jesus for giving us heaven? You know, no one in Christ's service can say they're making a sacrifice. Jesus made the sacrifice. In other words, what are they saying? They're saying we've only done our duty. Friends, let's, um, let's always recognize the privilege and the responsibility of being a Christian, of following Jesus. Let's, let's be a great example to others. Let's forgive each other. Let's trust every one of God's promises. Finally, let's take down the ladder. We are only unworthy servants. Uh, servants. We've only done our duty. And then just stand in awe of the blessing that it is to be servants in God's house. Amen. Please stand. Oh, please stand. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't say it clearly enough. <laughs> but I gave you one of these. I thought this was powerful. So, the Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Amen.
Let's join in confessing our Christian faith with the words of the Apostles', uh, Apostles Creed printed on page 12. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> 